Well, good morning. It is uh, cold. I, uh, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the cold weather, so I don't really like it. Uh, I especially realized that on Friday night, standing on the sidelines at Wagner football, it was very cold by the end of that. But not as cold as it was some places. I've seen some places were playing in the snow. We didn't have to do that. Uh, <clears throat> Speaking of the cold, we can always be thankful uh, for something, and that just kind of spoke to me this morning. I take my dog on a walk every morning, and before I go to work or whatever this morning, go to preach, I just take my dog on a walk, and we was headed out about the time the sunrise was coming out, and it was just, it was really pretty this morning, and so as much as I don't like the cold weather, we can always be thankful for something, and so... Uh, kind of had a unique experience on my way here even, and this has nothing to do with the message, but it's not many times that I walk into the store at Pegs and get asked to jump on their stack of deer corn, but I did today, and so I did, and they even got a video of it. I, I may be advertising for Cowboys Grocery and selling their deer corn, I don't know, but <clears throat> anyway, good morning, good to be here. I uh, want to talk to you this morning about Paul, Paul being the only guy that can say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, imitate me, for I imitate Christ. And he did that in Corinthians 11.1, 1. and he's a dynamite Christian. I think we'd all agree that Paul set a great example for us as Christians to live by, and so I want to look at four things from Paul's life that we can strive for in our own Christian walk that will help us to be dynamite and dynamic on-fire Christians as well. And so you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. And I'll start reading in verse 1, but before I do, if everyone would just bow with me, I'm going to pray over our service. Father, I come to you, I just thank you for your goodness, I thank you for your grace, I just thank you that we can gather here freely and openly and just worship you and and hear your word preached. Lord, I pray that you would just hide me behind your cross this morning and just uh, use me as the tool, as the vessel uh, to bring the message to each and every person in this room. Father, I pray that you're glorified, honored, and praised through it and that we would all respond in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 9 Learning from Paul, first, I want us to look at Paul's conversion. We need some conversion Christians in our churches and in our world if we want to be difference makers for Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, that's Paul before his conversion, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that is Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, Saul, pre-salvation. He's trying to get permission to go and find these Christians. Doesn't matter who, if they speak the name of Jesus, he's looking for them. He wants to stop it. He wants to stop it in his tracks. He knows what they're trying to do, and he wants to cut it off. He's trying to bound them bring them back, throw them in prison, beat them, persecute them. And that is, that is Saul, that is Paul's pre-salvation. That's, that's what he, that was his life. 
He was going against Christians. He was fighting against the Christians. And then, verse 3, continuing reading on, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Is it, hard, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So again, we see Paul. What's he headed to Saul before he's Paul? What's he headed to do? He's looking for the Christians. He's in a battle against the Christians. He has this encounter with God. He has this encounter with God. He gets into to town, meets with Ananias, gets baptized, right? He's had this encounter with God. He's been saved. We need some saved Christians, right? We need, but not just saved Christians. We see the change. A conversion shows that there's a difference from pre-salvation to post-salvation in our life. And that's what we see him pre-salvation, how he lived, how he acted, how he even acted towards Christians or towards the thought of Jesus. He didn't like them. He didn't want no part of it. But then he has this encounter with God, he gets saved, he gets baptized, and look in verse 20 of chapter 9. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. We see an immediate change begin to take place in Paul's life. He goes from murdering Christians to sharing people uh, the gospel. And I just think of too many Christians today, we're up and down in our walk, We have that uh, up like a rocket, down like a rock mentality when we've been saved and we start off hot and on fire and then three weeks, three months goes by and we just kind of drop off. And before you know it, we've not only just dropped off and now we're getting into the world, maybe back to some of those old ways. And the Bible clearly tells us that if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old things have passed away. They're not to come back. And behold, we're brand new. And so Paul, just imagine Paul if his life was like a lot of Christians today. And he got saved, and man, yeah, he immediately goes to preaching. And then just a little bit of time goes by, and he begins to fall off. He begins to maybe get satisfied with right where he is. Man, I got, I've, got, I've shared with my close family, my friends, kind of got them. They're all saved. Not much more I can do. I've served for a little while. Not much more I can do. I'm just going to kind of sit here this church and call it good what if his life ended that way i mean our lives would be different right because paul it was paul who brought the message of the gospel to the gentiles that's us right and so there was a true conversion a change that never ended Uh, it continued and that's how our walk with christ should be it's a it's a change it's a conversion that is daily renewed by us walking closely with god and seeking him in our relationship with god and so we don't need christians uh who are up like a rocket down like a rock we need christians who continue to stay on fire who continue to grow continue to get better uh for jesus and that's paul he gives us that example of what a conversion christian really looks like I think there's a lot of Christians that claim it and may even truly be saved, but their life looks exactly the opposite of that. And we're, we're going to be one or the other as Christians. We're going to be a stumbling block 
for people to get to heaven or we're going to be a stepping stone. 2 Corinthians 6.17 tells us we're to come out from among them and be separate. Talking about the world. We're not supposed to live like them. We're not supposed to act like them. We're to be different. People should see a difference. Does it mean our conversion is going to look like Paul's? No. Because I didn't murder or persecute or go against Christians before I was saved. But I hope that people see that I have a desire to go to church. My desires have completely changed. I love to come to church. I have a desire to get in His Word and grow and seek Him. And I have a desire to pray. I have a desire to tell people about Jesus. My desires have changed. Yes, my actions, my wants have changed. There's been a heart change. And right, That's what we should strive for in our Christian walk. The people that we've hung around with before we were saved and we still may hang around with uh, now that we are saved, they should look at us and be like, man... There's something different about them. And you could tell the people who were with Saul on that conversion. Verse 7 says, The men who journeyed with him stood speechless. Imagine what they thought later on down the road as they still hear about Paul or maybe still hang out, like see Paul in the same city. They're thinking, what has gone on with this guy? Jesus is what went on with that guy. And so we need conversion Christians. We need people who actually have a change and continue to change, continue to be changed and molded by God daily in their life. Not only do we need a conversion, we need called Christians. And I'm just going to flip over to Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 1, and read. Paul understood his calling. You can go read every, every book that he wrote. And its introduction is going to sound something like this. This is Romans. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Every single letter is going to sound very similar. Called by God. Called by, he knew that he had a calling that was higher than himself, and he was called to wherever God would take him, he was going to be uh, used by God, he was going to be a vessel for God, and God used him because he was faithful uh, to that calling. We look at what Paul, again, I kind of talked about it earlier. We look at what Paul did, what God used Paul to do, took the gospel to the Gentiles. Again, we're still reaping from that right now. We're a byproduct of him taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Wrote much of the New Testament. Again, we have this because Paul was faithful and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote uh, what God told him to write planted churches, and then he just simply shared wherever he found himself. It didn't matter if he was on his way to a prayer meeting. It didn't matter if he was in a prison cell. Paul always looked for opportunities to share the gospel. Uh, He always looked for opportunities to serve Jesus. We're called to be servants, and that's what Paul knew, that ultimately he was called to be a servant of Christ. And that's what each and every one of us, yes, we have gifts. Yes, we have talents. Yes, we have our ministries. Uh, That's considered not just in the church, uh, but outside of the church. Your workplace is a ministry for you. It's a ministry area for you. If you're not being a light to the people that you work with, if you're not showing Jesus to the people you work with, you're not living out your true calling because it's right where you are. You can be used by God. And so Paul understood that. He's just simply a servant. Wherever I end up, I'm called by God to share in that area. I'm called to use my gifts. And so we need Christians to step up and answer the call, yes, serving in a church. We have so many opportunities here at Exciting Southeast to find a ministry, nursery, kids, 
we set up tents regularly for different ministries. We put on basketball tournaments. We put on rodeos. You kind of whatever you like. I'm sure we have a ministry for it. And so there's opportunities to serve. There's opportunities to answer the call of Christ and serving Him. And I think too many Christians, again, we answer that call of salvation, but then we don't move on into that second step. There's a call to service. There's a call to serve Him and to advance the kingdom of God. And so we need more Christians doing that. Don't have to be a preacher. Don't have to be a teacher. But God does want you to use your gift. He's called you to use your gift. Whatever that may be, you need to find it, and you need to, somewhere in the church where they have a spot that it can be used, use it. Outside these walls, use it. Right? And so we're called to use our gift. You say, I don't have a gift. Well, you do. God's given us all a gift. I love what Paul writes to Timothy in, in his letters to Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that is in you. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. God has given each and every one of us a gift. And so if you think you don't have one, maybe it's that you're not stirring hard enough to find it. And that takes seeking Him through the Scriptures, through prayer. Ask God, give me the gift and give me the opportunities to use that gift. And so we need more Christians who are answering the call to serve, to use their gift, to get engaged in a church body and help advance the kingdom of God. Not only conversion Christians, not only called Christians, but we also need committed Christians. I picked 2 Timothy 2.3 for this, this point. It says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We need committed Christians. I look at Paul's life, and do you think Paul was committed? Man, look at all that he went through and still kept Jesus the number one priority. Beaten multiple times. Do you think Paul was a committed Christian? Stoned? Do you think Paul was a committed Christian? Shipwrecked? Multiple times? Do you think Paul was a committed Christian? Snake bit? Just kind of shook it off and kept on going. Do you think Paul was a committed Christian? Ridiculed? Falsely accused? Rejected? Hated much of his life? But he just continued to keep Jesus first. Imprisoned and arrested? Again, multiple times. But he continued to stay faithful through it all. He gives us an example of what a 100% sold out commitment to Christ looks like. And I think we should all strive for that. He wasn't just interested in being a Christian. He was committed to it. And I think there's a fine line. There's a big difference in a person who's interested in something and a person who's committed to something. Uh, I use fitness because it's something I know. Man, it's coming to that New Year's resolution time. And there's a whole lot of people who are about to be interested in getting in shape, losing weight, going to start exercising, going to start eating right. And that's all good, but the second it gets inconvenient, you see them falling off two weeks in, three weeks in, because that first week, man, there's some excitement there. This is good. It's going well. And then two weeks in, man, I don't want to eat chicken and rice anymore. Man, it's raining outside. I don't want to go run. I don't want to work out. It's cold in that garage or whatever it may be. And so we look for inconveniences. When we're interested in something, we look for inconveniences so that we don't have to do it. And so that's not Paul. That's not how he was. He was committed to it. He said, no matter what I go through, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. 
And so we need to have that same mentality as we go about our Christian walk. We're not just interested, and so interested Christians, man, the second ministry gets tough, I'm out of here. The second the weather's bad, I'm out of here. The second that something goes wrong, I'm out of here. No, we need committed Christians. Hey, I'm here, I'm going to serve in this no matter what. Even if things may, we may not get along always in church, but we're still in this together for one reason, and that is for Jesus, and we'll work through it, and we'll get past it, and we'll move forward. Man, we got to have commitment from our Christians, and I'm going to use them. I use them almost every, every time. I use them a lot in the youth, but Lou Corrala, Georgia Tech strength coach, uh, he has what he calls the hungry board in his weight room. All off-season, they do this hungry board. And it's just levels of commitment for their players. You walk in and you see three categories and your name's in one of those three categories. And so each week it'll change because each week all the strength staff gets together and they go through each player. Is he, one, satisfied? That's the lowest category, satisfied. Lou says a satisfied player will miss meetings, miss player meetings if they're not mandatory and even some mandatory ones. A satisfied player will be late to lifts and practices. A satisfied player will not do any type of extra work. A satisfied player's grades will probably be C-level or above, maybe even dip below where he's ineligible a few games. A satisfied player is one that, man, you still love him, but sometimes you just think we'd be better off without you. And then they move on to that second category hungry and this is the player that does everything that's required man he's there for the meetings he's on time he works hard he's there for the lifts he's on time he works hard he does his film for the week you're you're required to watch an hour of film he's going to watch his hour of film he's that a and b student in the classroom he's committed to the team's goals and pretty committed to his own goals but he's not going to do anything extra. And that's when he gets to that third category. He said, man, we love these players. We're looking for these. They're starving. Third category, starving. He said, man, these players are fun to coach because these players, they come in early. They stay late. They're always looking for extra time to find in the weight room or in the practice field. They're the straight-A students. Their classroom stuff is taken care of. We don't even have to go look. He said, these guys, they ask questions in film. If they don't know, they don't understand, they're not afraid to say, hey, coach, I need that explained to me. He said, we know that's someone who's hungry. They want to learn. They want to grow. He said, we love those starving players. And I just love that because I can tell you, I, I've, from training and being a strength coach, I can just bend my mind. I can start fitting players to categories that I've trained and coached, man. Satisfied ones, I totally get. They're frustrating, and as much as you love them, and some of them, man, all the talent in the world, but it's hard to say, man, I just, some, sometimes it's hard not to say, excuse me, man, I just wish he'd get out of here. This team would be way better off without him because he causes us more problems uh, than, than good. The hungry players, man, you like them because... They're going to come in and they're going to do their work. They're just kind of just quiet. You don't ever have to get on to them. You don't ever really have to say much to them. But then you get those starving players, and I've had a few. Man, they're just fun. They make things fun because you can start seeing the exponential growth, the development. Maybe it's they're getting bigger. They're getting stronger. You can see uh, the difference on the field or on the court from what they're doing. And so 
God's calling committed Christians, and he's looking for starving Christians. And just in my sanctified imagination, thought, what if God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, set up in heaven, and each week they have a board. They got satisfied, hungry, starving. And they just begin to, every Christian, go through it. And I just try to put a circle around myself and think, where would I be? I hope and pray, and I'm going to strive my best to be in that starving category every single week because I want him to look down and say, man, Trenton's fun. I'm so glad I get to coach him. I'm so glad I have him on my team. And so don't be a satisfied Christian. Don't be a hungry Christian. Don't be satisfied with being a hungry Christian. Aim to be a starving Christian. Okay? So we need conversion Christians. We need called Christians. We need committed Christians. Number four, and I'll be done, we need commissioned Christians. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Paul, again, perfect example of a commissioned Christian. I mean, there wasn't a time in his, in his ministry that he wasn't just as he was going looking for opportunities and people to share. Again, I point back to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to look at two, two uh, scriptures in Acts here. Verse 20, even from the moment of salvation, he understood the Great Commission. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. We need to understand one of our callings is to be a commissioned Christian. It's been commanded in scriptures from God that we are to be soul winners. We're to look for people in our day-to-day lives to share with. That's at work. That's at school. That's everywhere that we find ourselves. But then I also want to turn to Acts chapter 16. And again, you could go multiple places in scripture to see that Paul was a commissioned Christian. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 16, kind of through 34. To catch us up to to, uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through 34, excuse me. To catch us up to verse 11, verse 6, Paul's just had uh, the Macedonian call, which was he got a vision and there was a man telling him, hey, we need your help down here in Macedonia. You need to head this way. Get here. Help us. And so... Verse 11, it says, Therefore, they've sailed in from Troas, ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And there from Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us, And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. And she and her household were baptized. And so he's headed out. He's got this vision to head to Macedonia. And he gets uh, to to Philippi. And they're headed over to a prayer meeting. They've been there a little while ministering. And gets over to a prayer meeting and just begins to share I don't know what it was that he shared. We don't get that in the, in the scriptures, but he shared the gospel in some way, form, or fashion. And Lydia uh, heeds what Paul says, and she gets saved. Not only her, 
but her whole household were saved, baptized. And so verse 16 goes on. I'm going to skip kind of down to verse 25. But in verse 16 through 24, again, they kind of continue on. There is a possessed girl, and Paul throws it out. They don't like that so much because they were making money off this girl. And so they get them, throw them in prison, and that gets us to verse 25. It says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. How many can be caught in the prison cell praying and singing hymns? Man, give us that perspective. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison Awakening from his sleep and seeing the prison doors were open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for all of us are here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Again, it doesn't matter if he's headed to a prayer meeting. It doesn't matter if he's sitting in a prison cell. Paul was always looking for opportunities to share the gospel, to be a commissioned Christian, and that's what we're called to do no matter where we find ourselves, the good, the bad, the ugly. It doesn't matter the circumstance or the situation. Be committed to be a great commissioned Christian and sharing meant you got friends that are lost, you got family that are lost, go for it. Go, go ask them if they know Jesus. Go share with them the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> but we need to be as-we-go Christians. It's so encouraging to me, and I hope it is to you, I think it will be, but it also should be challenging to each and every one of us that we have a pastor, I have a dad, that everywhere he goes we see on riding with Robs and different things, and I've even, we hear stories up here, and I've even... I uh, got to be a part of some of those trips with him. He can turn any conversation into a gospel conversation. It amazes me sometimes. Like He can just flip them, and I'm thinking, where did that come from? And he's so good at it. And that should encourage us because we know that even when he's not here, he's still doing the Lord's work somewhere, somewhere between here and Latahatchie, Alabama. He's probably... Uh, doing the Lord's work because he's probably finding someone to share the gospel with. But it should challenge each and every one of us because the Great Commission was not just for preachers. The Great Commission was for each and every born-again believer in Christ. And so we need to work on being able to have a conversation and turn it into a gospel conversation uh, no matter where we are or who we're talking to. As we go, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go to the store, as we get gas, as we go on vacation... As we sit in the restaurant, anywhere and everywhere that the Lord takes us, we ought to be looking for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus. And I'll close with this story. And David, if you want to come up and start your invitational music. It was D.L. Moody. He was headed down the streets of Chicago one late evening. It was dark outside. He was coming upon a young man and just kind of straightforward with this young man. He said, Young man, do you know Jesus? And he said, I was kind of surprised by his reaction as he just began to kind of be enraged, getting mad, yelling. And he said he just kept yelling, that's none of your business. That's none of your business. And he said he was going on. He said, I just kind of stepped back again, wasn't sure exactly what was about to happen, kind of letting him throw his fit, his temper tantrum. 
And he said, as he kind of winded down, and I just sat there and kind of listened to it, he said, I just calmly said, son, that's where you're wrong. It is my business. And that story goes on, and D.L. Moody says it was a few weeks later that I got a knock on my door. And as that knock on my door, I said, I wasn't really expecting anyone, didn't really. And he said, I went, opened the door, and there was that young man. And that young man asked him to lead him to the Lord, asked him how to be saved. And so he got to lead that young man uh, to the Lord that day. And so we need to understand the importance of us as Christians to live out the Great Commission because it is our business. It's what we're called to do. And so everyone stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you haven't had that conversion, if you haven't been saved and changed by the Lord, accepted Him into your heart and have a relationship with Him, we would love to show you how to do that this morning. But Christians, have you allowed the Lord to just come in and change you, make you that new creation? Are you living out your calling? Have you stirred up the good gift that God has given you and are you using it? Are you committed or have you just been interested so far in this Christian life? The second inconvenience has come, you tend to push it to the side and move on to different things. And this is one we could all come forward and ask for help on. We need to be commissioned Christians. Are you sharing as you go daily looking for opportunities? Altars are open. Father, I just come to you. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Just pray that you would just uh, allow your Holy Spirit to work on each individual as they need worked on. Father, and I pray that everyone would respond in a way that's pleasing to you. And if no one knows you as their Lord and Savior, that they would come and do so before they leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I-